Hi, my name is Brooks Milgate. Uh, I'm a piano player. I play in the blues circuit, and uh, I, I this is uh, Talking Blues, and I'm happy to be here. You said you play in the blues circuit, but when I hear your music, you play more than blues. So do you consider yourself now more of a blues musician than anything else? I, I, it's definitely what I play most these days. Um, you know, I, I, I love all, all different kinds of music. I mean, like most musicians, uh, but there tends to be a lot of work to go around in the blues circuit. And I really enjoy playing it. So it's, it's a good fit. So, how did music come into your life? How does that all start? Sure, I, I was—I uh, come from a musical family. Actually, my my parents uh, both were musicians, both still are, and so music was just in the house since I was uh, since I was born. Uh, I have an older brother that uh, started playing drums very early on, and uh, so my parents, as soon as they saw that we had kind of a musical inclination they, they made us both start taking piano lessons so I was five at the time it, it you know it didn't stick right away I mean obviously I, I was more into sports and things for a few years but then uh, after a few years I, I just really started getting interested in it and my dad was a big fan of uh, classic rock and the Allman Brothers and you know as soon as I started you know finding my way around the piano he had plenty of things for me to listen to and to, and to learn and, uh, and then, you know, I really played with my parents all through my adolescence and playing at church. And, and uh, so that was kind of how it came about, I guess. <laughs> wow. Can you talk, a would you mind just talking a little bit more about your, your parents' musicianship and what, what they do? Were they professional musicians or was this a hobby or? Um, professional to, to an extent. I mean, it was never the full-time job, but, um, but we, always had, we always had a family band. My brother was played the drums and I, I would play piano, my mom sang, my dad played guitar, and then a friend of ours was uh, the bass player. And we, we played all over, especially around Ohio, where we were from. We played county fairs, we played churches, we played, I remember we played my dad's uh, high school reunion, you know, just, uh, you know, just fun stuff. Well, that's cool. So what kind of music did that band play? It, it was it was a mix. Uh, my dad, like I said, he loved the Allman Brothers. So there, there was a we did a number of songs off of the Brothers and Sisters album of theirs. Uh, he, my dad was also a big Eagles fan, so we did some Eagles. I, there was some Leonard Skinner. I, I remember we did, uh, you know, a lot of classic rock. Um, right. Yep. When your parents are, they play music and they actually play on stage with you. When you decide that you wanted to follow music as a career. Mm -hmm. I guess they can't say, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they definitely planted the seed. <laughs> but what was it like to have a family band? What was that experience like? Oh, it, it was great, especially when I look back on it. You know, my dad really, uh, he, he looked out for us, you know, and he, and he, he always paid us. Even when I was, a, even when I was in, high, in high school, uh, he would get us gigs. At, at this point, then, I lived in Florida, and we used to play a lot of the yacht clubs down there. And so we, we would play, you know, just jazz standards. And, um, you know, he would play upright bass. My, my dad is kind of one of those guys that'll play anything you put in front of him. So, uh, 
Uh, it, it was great, and, and I, I do look back on it, and I'm and I'm thankful for you know the the learning experience that it was. I I'm sure at the time, I'm sure playing in a band with your parents isn't what every uh, you know high schooler <laughs> dreams of doing, <laughs> but but I, I love my folks, and I'm grateful for it. But were you gaining that much that it might have gotten in the way of your teenage social life? Um. Not not so much, not so much, no. But we, we did play, um, we, we also played at church. So, I mean, church was an every week sort of thing. So I guess from that standpoint, it was a little more constant. Whereas, you know, the gigs, the yacht clubs and, and whatnot were a little more sporadic. But, um, but it was fun. Do you remember the time when you thought, yeah, I think I want to do this for a living? To be honest with you, I can't remember a time when I didn't think that. I, I just, you know, it, my my whole life, I think uh, by the time I was about 11 years old, I, I was just had tunnel vision. I just wanted to play piano. Any time I heard anything that, that, that you know, piqued my interest, I, I would figure out how to do it. You know, whether that was, you know, learning by ear or, or getting the sheet music and taking it to my piano teacher, um, you know, I really can't ever remember ever wanting to do anything else <laughs> wow so are you classically trained uh, yeah yeah i i mean i i say <laughs> i say yes because i did have to play all of the classical music you know right. and the, the beethoven and, and all that stuff but you know when i was younger especially i i just wanted to play i wanted to improvise i wanted to play jazz i wanted to play rock and roll so that was really what kept me coming back to the piano more so than the classical but um, but I do have the classical training, yes. So at one point or another, you decide that you will pursue this at school and go to Berkeley College of Music. Yep. Yep. What was the thinking then? Like, what were you thinking in terms of um, what you hope to accomplish by going there? What was the goal of going to Berkeley? Uh, you know, <laughs> I really don't even know. I I don't. I'm not even sure. I I I guess uh, how I should answer that is just. You know, everybody everybody told me that, you know, you got to go to college. I mean, that was just kind of the, the, the line of thinking. If you wanted to have any kind of success in life, you just had to go to college. And um, music was the only thing I, I really wanted to do. So I, I had applied to Berkeley um, when I was in high school. I, I graduated high school in 2000. I, and I was also going to a, uh, there was a school in Florida that is a performing arts high school. So, so I was getting, you know, music theory and, and stuff uh, all four years of high school. So I, w I was able to get some scholarships and things uh, to Berkeley, but I, I opted not to go right away. So I did my first year of college actually at um, University of South Florida. And then I dropped out for a while. I was playing in a band and, and we moved to Atlanta. So we played all over Atlanta. And, um, and then, you know, I, I, I think I was 19 or 20 then and, and decided to at that point, when that band wasn't working out, then decided to come up here to Massachusetts and, and uh, get my education. What would have been the goal after getting that? Is it just to become a better player, or to be a teacher, or or did you have any of that in mind? Yeah, I guess at the time, I, I, uh, I was really into songwriting, and I was kind of thinking I would, you know, maybe try to go to Nashville, become a songwriter. Um, and so, so a lot of the classes that I was taking at Berkeley were arranging classes, um, I, you know, arranging for horns, arranging for strings. And, um, and then what's funny is that, you know, then I graduated and then just started playing and, and, you know, and I wish in retrospect, you know, I wish I would have focused a little more on the performance aspect 
Um, not, not that I, I mean, I love having the knowledge of, of you know, all of the other things that I studied, but, uh, you know, you just, that's the thing about playing music is you never know what's, what opportunities are awaiting. But if I would have asked you back then, what do you think you would be doing musically? Mm-hmm. What would you have told me? Um, like I said, I, I really did think that songwriting was going to be, you know, a piece of it. But but there's always, I, I've always played live, you know, and I feel like most musicians, that's always kind of what you, at the end of the day, that's what you want to do. You want to play your instrument. And so, uh, you know, I think what I'm doing right now is very much what I had envisioned, um, you know, playing and, and getting to go on the road periodically and play with some great people. It's it's. <laughs> for sure I, and I got a chance to see you not too long ago with a great band um, you were on the road for three weeks I yeah, want to get back yeah. to that but tell me about the bands that you started and um, you were in a band called The Howl with Troy Gong. oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, boy that goes back a, a while but yeah so I, I met Troy boy it's had to be 17 or so years ago now, probably pushing 20 years. And um, I mean, it, it, as I don't know if you know this, but he played with the fabulous Thunderbirds for a long time. And he's he's uh, very well known in the blues circuit. Mm-hmm. So w- when I met him was kind of after all of that. Um, and he had started this band, this rock band called The Howl. And um, they were great. And uh, I kind of met it as it, I met him as that band was kind of dissolving. And so uh, me and a couple of other friends kind of, I guess, kept it going for a little while, maybe even a little bit longer than Troy even (laughs) wanted to. (laughs) But no, it was great. And I mean, any opportunity to play with Troy, I mean, he's such a gifted guitar player. But so so we started that band and he um, he actually wound up on the road with Booker T. So we, we, we went into the studio, started making a record as that lineup, and um, he wound up on the road with Booker T, and then, you know, things just kind of fell fell by the wayside, you know, as, as they tend to do. But but then what's funny is is the core of that band, minus Troy, actually became the other band that you were asking me about earlier, the Curtis Mayflower. Right. So we did kind of keep that going, even though it didn't, it didn't have Troy. We had another a buddy of mine, Pete come in and he's a fantastic guitar player and um so tell me about that band tell me about curtis mayflower and what the goal would have been um and i think you guys recorded an album got pretty good reviews got a bit of a following yeah so uh so the the drummer it's kind of funny the way this band came together because the the drummer that was um playing in the howl actually his name is duncan he used to have a Thursday night residency at this club in Worcester that was called the Dive Bar, and the Dive Bar, the Dive Bar uh, had a house B three. Actually, it was an A one hundred, but you know most people don't know the difference. But it was, <laughs> it was just there every week for people to, to use and to play, and so uh, Duncan kind of formed. I, I mean, I don't want to say that he formed it, but he had all these guys kind of coming together. That and we would just kind of write songs on the spot, you know, every Thursday, and um, and over time we we started to accumulate these songs that, that we were pretty fond of, and we were getting a good response from people, and so then we uh, we opted to go make this record. So the first record that we made, um, which was called Everything Beautiful Is Under Attack, we went up to a farmhouse up in Maine, which uh, it, um, and we just took all our instruments 
set up and recorded live just in a weekend. And um, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. Um, and, and so that's the first record. Uh, and it's all these songs that we had written at, at this place, that, this dive bar in Worcester that we had played, you know, for a year or two prior. And then, uh, yeah, and so then we, we came out and we played all over the place, all over New England. I think we got as far far away as uh, Pennsylvania a few times, you know, and, um, you know, just played as often as we could and really tried to get that band off the ground. We had a good run and, you know, a lot of fun, but, um, you know, <laughs> another band that's, you know, that, that few people have heard of, I guess. <laughs> Tell me what that's like, what you, you've heard to it before with the how, just mm-hmm. how, how difficult it is to keep a band. Mm-hmm. I, and and you said that you kind of kept it alive longer than maybe Troy wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's that feeling like? When do you know when when the band is starting to disintegrate? I mean, I yeah, I I think in in that specific case, I think we we all did. I mean, Troy was so busy. He you know being on the road, traveling the world, really. And and what's funny is uh, he actually got the bass player um, that was in the Curtis Mayflower. And in the Howl, he actually got him to do some some of the tours with Booker T as well. So it was just kind of like everybody was just getting pulled in all different directions. And, you know, once once the emails kind of stop coming, you know, and you stop seeing that there's even an agenda for the band, you know, I think everybody <laughs> I think everybody kind of sensed that maybe it had run its course. <laughs> At some point or another, you decide that your destiny for now is to do more sideman work. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Is that a conscious thing? Is that is how do, does that is that something you just work into? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a bit of both, actually. Uh, you know, I, I I love I love to write music. I really do. I love the whole process of writing it and recording it. You know, it's really this feeling of creating something out of nothing. You know, and, and I guess you, you could you could say that playing live is is that way too. But you know you're still playing. You're playing a song that's that's already there. Whereas you know when you're writing something, it's just it's all fresh, and, and I love that. Um, so I you know and that's really what we were doing in the Curtis Mayflower. You know we were writing all original songs and, and everything. But but then I just started getting calls to you know accompany people, and 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 I guess it did start to become apparent to me that that um, I think I had a, a a better future in music playing with people because my ability to play probably is is a little a little greater than my ability to write i guess <laughs> but how does that how do the phone calls happen how does that happen in terms of you starting to get more calls people asking you to come and join them on a short tour or whatever how does that happen yeah. it, it's really just through at least the way that it happened for me was just through networking and just playing uh, with as, I mean, I don't want to say playing with as many people as, as you can. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess playing with as many people as you can. Troy actually kind of uh, reemerged a number of years ago. And then I started playing with Troy. And it was really through a lot of his gigs that I started meeting these people in the, the New England um, blues circuit. And so uh, that, that's how I wound up on the road with Anna, actually, was uh, Anna Popovic was coming into town. And she didn't have a keyboard player with her, and um, but it was actually a club owner that had seen me play with Troy just a few weeks earlier that said, "Hey, I you know I know a guy, let me put you in touch." And so that that was really how it happened. Okay, so you 
joined her band and you play and tour with her for like a couple of years, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, two and a half years, I, I think. So it all started with the club owner saying, hey, I know a keyboard player. And then she calls you or somebody calls you, you join her for a gig. Probably nothing else is in the works. It's just one gig, fill in spot and see how things work out. Pretty much, yeah. It was... Um, uh, she was doing a residency at the at this club, so I I guess she had two nights two nights booked and um, so yeah. So when I got the offer, I I just kind of assumed it was just for those two nights because the club was very local to me, and um, you know so I think I don't remember. It, it was pretty last minute. I remember that I think the gig the first gig was on a Monday, and I think she, she called me on Saturday. So it was like. <laughs> It was like I really had to cram, and I told her, I said, I, you know, I'm happy to do it. I, uh, but I said I'm gonna have to make some charts. You know, I know it's not cool to go out there with charts, but I was like, you know, <laughs> if we're playing for two hours. I, I gotta have some roadmaps there, and, and she was fine with that. And then it just kind of turned into, you know, so I did those first two gigs, and they asked me if I could finish the tour, and then I said sure, and then then they asked me, well, can you do the next tour, and then so on and so forth. Wow. So when do you know? How long was that first tour? Um, just a couple weeks. I, th I think maybe a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Okay, so when do you know, after being kind of thrown into the circumstance, mm -hmm. that maybe there's a chance that I'm going to stick around longer? Or well, do you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, she she made it clear that, you know, after after a couple gigs, you know, she asked me if I wanted to continue doing it, you know, and if I was able to continue doing it. Because, I mean, there's some fantastic musicians out there that, that just can't go on the road for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was willing to do it. And uh, and so, yeah, so I so I did know by the end of that tour that I, you know, that I was going to be on the next couple anyways. What did that experience teach you? I mean, I it sounds like you were, you've been doing the road thing before, so it's nothing completely new. But I would presume that maybe, a, and I'm not really sure what year this was, but mm -hmm. this might have been an, a different level. Definitely a, an, another level, definitely a step up. And I, I, boy, I want to say it was 2018, maybe 2019. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I had I had done some touring uh, before, but it was always kind of sporadic. It was, you know, long weekends, um, you know, and, and usually kind of regional. Uh, but but this this was the first time then, you know, with Anna where I was going all over North America uh, I never went to Europe with her because she she had another band uh, or another keyboard player and uh, over there who's fantastic, and um, so yeah. But you know this one I you know I'd be going out to Seattle. I, we were in Texas quite a bit, into Canada a little bit, and um, yeah. So this was definitely the first opportunity that I ever had to to travel that much. Um, what did that experience teach you? Uh, well, it, it definitely taught me to. Uh, to be on your feet a little bit more, to play on your feet, you know, and just kind of be prepared. I, you know, I remember, uh, you know, especially being thrown into the, you know, where she was in the middle of a tour and, and I kind of got thrown in. I, I remember having songs, you know, given to me in the green room, like, listen to this because we're playing it, you know, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but that's good. You know, I, I like, I like the challenge and, um, you know, and especially when, when people are, are, I think too it it taught me a little bit just about kind of being that filling that sideman role because you know obviously you know people are there to see Anna people aren't there to see me <laughs> you know but but you know how to how to really support who you're playing with 
And I think that that's a uh, that's something not everybody. It's something that you do have to learn, you know, uh, to just be a good accompanist. So what I found really fascinating because I got the chance to sit almost right behind you at that gig with Mark Hummel. Sure. Is is you know you're playing along, and I know this isn't unusual, but then all of a sudden in the song. Mark would just look at you and call your name or give you a sign, and yep. it's time for you to take a solo. And 30 seconds before that, you have no idea that that's going to happen. Sure. I, and I presume you know this, this. This is, you know, that he's going to point at you at some point or another yeah. during the evening, and you're going to get a few solos. But what goes through your mind when, when Anna or Mark says, take the solo? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I, now, um, you know, a lot of those songs, I, I think all, most musicians kind of have their their bag of riffs that are available that are almost just muscle memory, you know. And 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 so, you know, anytime I'm in a song, I'm I'm always thinking about you know what I can do for a solo or, or uh, you know. But there, there's definitely when when I see him pointing at me. You know, then I, then I know it's on. So I, I guess uh, I I do know that you know as the solos are winding down. Let's say you know if Anson was taking a solo or something before, you know when I can tell it's he usually will kind of give a signal that he's about done. He's about said all that he needs to say. Right. And so as soon as as soon as you see that, you kind of have to be on your toes and and start thinking about well what's coming next? Is Mark going to sing or is he going to send it to me? And I guess at that point you do start you do have to think about well what am I going to do if he throws me a solo where am I going to start because I I like to I, I like them to be improvised I, I like them to be fresh I mean I don't like to just you know play the same notes night after night but I think it's good to have kind of a game plan in place for solos because you don't want to you don't want to solo your your way into a corner and you know especially in front of people you know you definitely. <laughs> You don't you don't want to crash and burn. <laughs> right, right. But you do think about the possibility in a way you might go before it even happens and it might never happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So I mean I I'm usually thinking about uh you know most most blues forms are 12 bars. So a lot of times I'll be thinking, well, I can start here, you know, do this riff or kind of embellish that, work on that a little bit, and then I can lead it to here for the next 12 bars. You know, so that's usually, you know, some sort of a blueprint frame that's, or, you know, a blueprint that's in my mind. So the non-musical me says, how does he not do something the same in the second set? You know what I mean? When sure. when, when you're throwing a, a solo, how do you not automatically go to a riff that you've used in the previous set? Sure. You know, that's a that's a tough one to answer <laughs> because I mean I I know just from you know as the one that's playing the instrument I, I you know I do I do play a lot of the riffs you know I'm sure I've I've played it you know multiple times through a gig but I think that things you know the songs are different the feel of it is a little different you know maybe this one is a little more swung you know this one is a little funkier and so I think that the way that it gets performed is just new you know to the to the listener even just changing the key i you know even being in a different key i might have the same riff that i did in this key in this song but it you know the way that it's laid out in this key is different so it sounds it sounds fresh so if you're and obviously when you said that you've kind of accepted the role of the sideman mm -hmm. 
Is it very different to be a sideman for somebody like Mark Hummel, who's a harmonica player, mm-hmm. um, or somebody like Anna Popovic, who's a mm-hmm. guitar player? Like in the way that you play your keyboard, does it change a great deal because of the two different instruments or because of any of the different artists that you work with? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, 100% it does. Um, and, and I mean, I think that the most obvious uh, explanation for that is just if you were to, you know, compare the, the styles, you know, Anna Anna's musical style versus Mark's, you know, they're very different. You know, Anna mm-hmm. is, is quite a bit more rock and roll, you know, and, um, uh, you know, whereas Mark is, uh, Mark Hummel is, is a lot more traditional Chicago blues. So, I mean, right away, you know, even just the instrumentation, you know, playing with Mark, I tend to use a lot more piano, um, you know, piano, uh, you know, try to sound like Otis Spann. <laughs> right. It, whereas when, when I was with Anna, I, I really, I almost, it was almost exclusively Hammond organ. Um, you know, some roads, but I mean, playing piano was, was, I really didn't play piano much at all when I was with her. And is that something that that's dictated to you? Is that something you bring to the table? How does that get determined? What, what sound you will bring to that the band? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, again, it, it really depends on who you're playing with. Like in in the case with Anna, she really preferred the organ, and and you know really preferred that sound, and so that was fine. Whereas uh, sometimes you'll play with people that um, really leave it up to you. You know, I mean, unless you're doing something that they just find incredibly offensive. <laughs> You know, then they'll tell you, you know, why don't you try organ on this one instead of piano? But, uh, you know, most most people kind of give you free reign on it. Outside of the blues, um, like when I look at the list of albums you've done, there's there's singer-songwriter, maybe um, maybe alt-country. I, I don't know if yeah. that's correct. but Oh, yeah. Um, so is this more of a hired gun thing or is this more of a preference thing where you seek out those opportunities? Um, I, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I definitely do. I, I do listen to all kinds of music. You know, I mean, I, I there's some alt country stuff that I absolutely love. Um, and so I know, I don't know if maybe you're referring to the Glenn Yoder. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I played with Glenn. He's just a dear friend and I, I've been in his band for years. Uh, it, it, I love his music too. So, uh, you know, I'd say that there's, there's, I, I just like to get out there and just play as much music as I can. You know, if there's an opportunity to do it, I, I'm I'm happy to take a chance at it. <laughs> okay, so the other thing I think we mentioned, the fact that you've worked with some female vocalists, singer-songwriters. Yeah. yep. And from what I can tell, both of the ones that I checked out have amazing voices. Are you involved in writing songs with them? Um. Well, I guess I'd have to ask which, which two years. This would be... To. Nicole Sitka, is that her name? Oh yes, yeah, Nicole. And and, and Patty. I oh, don't Patty Tweet. Yeah, Tweet. Tweet. Yes, 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 yes. Um, actually, well, Nicole, I've known her for years, and she's a great bass player. In fact, uh, me and my wife uh, just went and saw her play last night. She was playing <laughs> close by, and yeah, she's great. But her songs, uh, she really just kind of hired me to to play on them, and. Um, Okay. So she's, I've done a, actually, I think she has a new record that's going to be coming out in the near future. So, uh, but yeah, she's, she's always a pleasure to play with. And and then the Patty record actually uh, came to me through Paul Nelson. Um, I don't know if you know who Paul Nelson is. He's a guitar player, but he does a lot of, Johnny Winter. He does a lot of, yeah, exactly. He does a lot of uh, producing for people. 
And so, and through my connection with him, he actually put me uh, on on Patty's record, and that was a that was a joy to do. That was kind of during COVID. That was actually something I did here at home. So it, those uh, songs, you know, would kind of get emailed to me when they were ready for piano parts, piano and organ, and then I did all the tracking for those at home and just sent them back to Paul. And and I've talked to Patty a, f- a number of times since, and she's a lovely person. She's very nice, very talented. How did you manage during COVID? I mean, obviously you did some recordings, but what did that experience mm-hmm. do to you? Boy, that's <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I, during COVID, I, I was on the road with Anna. Um, I, in fact, we were out in, uh, I want to say we, I think we were in Green Bay, Wisconsin when everything shut down, you know, and, um, you know, so we kind of, all the dates were getting canceled right around us. And so we finally just went home and, um, you know, I mean, it was it was scary at first. I mean, I, I think everybody, uh, you know, none of nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew who who had COVID. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I mean, certainly as a musician, I mean, trying to just kind of weather the storm and you know find ways to make money. Um, it was very challenging. Very challenging. Anna was she 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 loves to work and um you know we still were on the road as much as we could be you know we were down in florida quite a bit because they you know really loosened up their restrictions especially because in florida in the warmer climates you could be outside right so um so you know we still did some tours down there and uh we were out in colorado so but i mean it was it was pretty sparse it was pretty sparse for a year or so but musically did it inspire you to do other things right record more oh yeah oh oh yeah i mean i i was writing and recording pretty much non-stop especially i have a good friend that uh he and i you know will write uh songs you know back and forth just kind of emailing things back and forth layering things on top of each other but you know none of that stuff's really been released uh you know it was more just kind of us passing the time because we didn't know what else to do with ourselves <laughs> But, so, but composing songs is something you do mm-hmm. on a regular basis. It's an ongoing process. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And tell me, like, is that just because you're inspired to constantly do it? Is it because it's it's something you do? How do you approach songwriting? You know, years ago, I would say that I, like, would intentionally sit down and try to, try to write um and I, I definitely did do that more consciously then. But but nowadays, you know, like, like I said, I, I, I play I play out a lot more than I, you know, do uh, than I write. But so so now now it seems that I just write when inspiration hits, you know, and, and it does, you know, sometimes just practicing suddenly, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a melody or something that, you know, comes to me. And then usually that's one of the advantages of recording at home is that I can just quickly plug everything in and just, you know, record an idea just so that I have it and can right. reference it later. And I think it was I, I think it was John Lennon that, that said uh, something to the effect that he never wrote anything down because if it was worth remembering that he would remember it, you know, and, and, and I think there's some truth to that, because usually the things that. You know, there's definitely things that I've written that I've completely forgotten by the next day. And then there's other things that I want to hear again, you know. And and uh, so that seems to be the, I guess that's what, what uh, makes me think if something is good or not, is if it's still in my head, you know, several days later. Does it just come through you? How, how does that writing process 
manifest in 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 the way that you work yeah i i would say it it probably does just kind of you know flow out of you uh for lack of a better explanation i guess some sometimes you know you just you just are playing what you feel and you know a song is there you know whether or not sometimes it's just an instrumental song sometimes sometimes there's lyrics that that come with it and uh i i've been fortunate too i have a, a number of friends that are are very skilled songwriters uh the, the the guy the lead singer in um the the curtis mayflower um he and i have written a, a ton of other songs over the years that that i do hope to release one of these days so a lot of times what will happen is i'll i'll come up with a progression or something that i think really lends itself to you know to more to having you know vocals on it or, or you know whatever and so i can record what's occurring to me and then i send it to him and then he writes something on it and then it, and it's really fun to see songs evolve that way you know it's really fun i enjoy writing just by myself i i really do but but when you write with other people it it kind of adds a new dynamic that that wouldn't be there if it was just one person you know and, and i think that that's really special is there a chance that curtis mayflower will get back together you know, funny enough, uh, just in the last week, I, I've talked to some of the guys, and we had we had talked about maybe doing a gig. Um, at this point, there's no definitive, <laughs> uh, you know, but but it's definitely on our radar. We we it's something I think we'd all like to do. It's just finding the time. Well, you said that everybody seems to be busy. You're starting to work with Chris O'Leary. Yes. Tell me a little bit about him. Yeah, yeah. So that that was uh, funny. Just. I guess we're coming up on about a year. And again, that was just through networking. I, I knew his uh, guitar player. I knew uh, his guitar player for years. And Chris used to go out with a horn section, but just kind of decided that with some of these new songs that he was writing, that he wanted to go out with a keyboard player. And so his uh, guitar player, that ironically is also named Chris, <laughs> he I played with him uh, on some other gigs and some records. And, and so he gave him my name. And so Chris O'Leary then just kind of sent me a text, just randomly said, hey, you know, I've never met you, but, uh, you know, you come highly recommended. Uh, I've got some tours coming up. And funny enough, the big tour that he had coming up was going to Spain. So last year we went to Spain. And so that was one of the first things that he, that he mentioned. He's like, you know, I got your name from this other guy, Chris, and wondered if you wanted to tour through Spain with me. And I was like, sure, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> um, no audition process? Uh, not, not really. I mean, maybe, maybe Chris auditioned me on the, you know, on the first gig or two. But, uh, you know, I think we just, I, I did send him some videos. So he kind of knew what, what to expect. And, um, you know, yeah, that, that again was just, I just, I, I think first tour I did with him was through the Midwest, but it started in upstate New York. So I just showed up to the gig, met him, shook his hand, played a gig, and then, then, you know, we were on the road for two weeks and, you know, by the end of the two weeks, we were pretty, you know, pretty good and tight. Okay, so what's the, what's the secret to being good sidemen? And I don't know if that's the correct term, but I mean, that's yeah. how you mentioned it. What is the secret to being a good sideman? Uh, you know, I don't know that there's a specific, you know, if there's a specific formula for it. But, but I would say that I, I think you just need to be, um, you need to be a good listener. You know, there's a lot of people, especially especially once you start getting competent at an instrument, there's there's this urge 
to just play all over everything, you know, get get it all out. And, you know, it's funny, the, the best musicians that I, I feel are the ones that really listen to the band and, and really play in the space that's there. So I think that's a big, I think that's a big piece of it is, is just your ability to listen. I think too, you know, as comfortable as you can be in, in as many different styles of music is always going to help. I mean, I, I don't think, um, you know, I know we, we all get kind of, I don't want to say pigeonholed, but I, I think we get comfortable in the styles that we play the most. Right. But, you know, I, th there's benefits of learning, you know, I mean, obviously uh, you could pick up a classical piece and, and, and learn that. I, in fact, I had a teacher at, at Berkeley that told me, but he told me this in, in regards to writing, that he said that, you know, when you have writer's block, that the best advice that he can give is just to go learn other people's songs. Find, you know, find that song that you've been putting off learning and adding to your repertoire. Learn that because that will, you know, that just kind of gives you a new, it gives you a new voice, you know, in a way. So I think there's, you know, just as, just learn and absorb as much music as you possibly can. And, um, and, and just be a good listener. I think really that's about the two the two best things you can do if you, if you want to be a side man. <laughs> okay, so as I said, we I saw you with Mark Hummel and Anson Funderburg. You guys were on tour. I think this was the second last date or third last date yeah. before the end of the tour. It was a three-week tour, which was pretty intensive, I believe. I oh, think yeah. you guys played almost every night. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. How did that, how did you first get into that band and... Tell me about that experience of touring with them for three weeks. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. The, the way that I got that gig was um, they uh, there's a piano player up here. Uh, his name is Matt McCabe, and he's a great piano player. He actually played with Anson. Uh, I think he played with Anson in the Rockets, and he played with Sam Myers for, oh, for okay. years. So they, they, they all knew each other, and they actually asked Matt to do the tour. And he didn't want to. He didn't want to be on the road for three weeks, <laughs> and so he he was the one that recommended me, and um, so uh, so that was how they kind of got my name. And then Mark called me up and, and um, you know offered me the gig, and I said sure. I had met Anson just last year um, on a recording session, uh, but anyways, so I kind of knew him, and I knew that he was just a wonderful, wonderful human being and an incredible guitar player. So I I was pumped. I really wanted to do this tour. Um, and then, you know, so, so then we, we got, uh, I guess it started in Annapolis. We were in Annapolis, Maryland. That was the first gig. So we, we traveled down there one day early, just kind of did a real quick, uh, rehearsal in, in a B and B, <laughs> you know, so we were playing really quietly and just kind of running through the songs. And obviously Mark had given us the songs, So we had all kind of studied and listened to them beforehand. But yeah, so that that was it. So we, you know, just kind of had that one rehearsal and started started gigging the next night, and uh, you know went yeah we had a couple days off, but I mean three three and a half weeks we played pretty consistently. At what point do you feel like it's a band that's functioning as a unit when you have when you start off with one very quiet rehearsal? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I would say probably by by the end of that first week. It was it was feeling pretty good. I mean, I'd I'd even say even just a few gigs in, you know, it felt it felt like we were pretty comfortable. Now, um, Nick, the drummer, Nick Toscano, he toured last year with with Mark when Mark was up here. 
So he at least, you know, in the drums, that's that's important that, you know, he, he at least knew most of the material and had played it before, um, you know, and, and so he was he was very solid on, you know, the, the just the tempos and the rhythms and keeping us all together. And uh, but yeah, I, I'd say after a few gigs, we it felt pretty good. And I mean, Anson, too. Anson and Mark, I mean, they are just they're they're, they're top of the top of their class, you know, and uh so playing with those guys, I mean, it's it's easy to just kind of fall in and fill in the spaces. <laughs> well, I mean, that was quite evident. By the time I saw you, you guys were three weeks on the road, and it was a really tight, solid band. And oh, and, and you, you guys looked like you were having a lot of fun on stage. Oh, yeah. What do you learn from playing with somebody like Anson and Mark, people of that caliber, and, and being mm-hmm. having the ability to tour with them for three weeks straight? Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's so much so much to to learn. I feel like I'm still, uh, you know, sitting and thinking about it. But I mean, the the one thing that's just phenomenal to me is, I mean, like you said, I mean, we we were gigging night after night, and I mean, they they bring it every night. You know, I mean, usually every, most tours that I've been on, you know, they're two three weeks long. It's pretty standard, but usually there's a, you know, you might have a clunker <laughs> gig or two. You know what I mean? And, and I can honestly say, looking back at this, that I, I really don't feel like there was ever really a, a gig that, you know, that we could have, uh, you know, played any better than we did. I mean, it's not to say that I'm sure we all had little mistakes and things, but but it was just evident that we were really enjoying ourselves. And, and you know, and uh, man, getting to back up Anson every night like that and just to hear him play. Oh, it, it was a real treat. I, I was I count myself very lucky to have gotten to do that. And musically, does it take you to places that you you might not have gone without the tour? Like, does it make you a better player because of the opportunity to play with somebody like Mark and Anson? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and uh, furthermore, I mean, even just on the uh, uh, even just in the simplest of terms, it, it introduced me to a whole ton of new material you know deeper cuts than i was you know that i that i had ever heard you know a lot of these blues players uh i mean the the classics you know little walter and and uh, muddy waters you know they have big big catalogs Mm -hmm. you know and and so a lot of sometimes it was you know i maybe had known the song that mark wanted to do but i didn't know this version and so you know obviously uh you know playing uh, kind of learning the new tunes and the new styles, it's uh, it's gonna make you a better player, you know, just just to just to get a new, a wider variety. And um, yeah. it's interesting to me. I mean, I talked about the spontaneity of you going into solo and and watching you, thinking, what's he gonna do next, or how does he do that? <laughs> and in the same way with Mark calling out the next tune, and this is yeah. this is something I've seen hundreds of times watching blues bands. But I, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to understand the thought process of what he goes through, because I presume that in the three weeks of touring, he probably, you guys probably never played the same show twice, never played the same order yeah. of songs twice, right? Like it's, yeah, it's all about the moment and how he feels and where it goes from there. Very much so. Yeah. I, I, now I will say he. When we started, like when we when we rehearsed uh, that first time and for those first two gigs, he had two set lists written right. 
that, that were kind of the 90 minute, you know, like we knew that that would get us to the end of the gig. <laughs> but but I really, yeah, I think that we only actually played that set list maybe once or twice. And then, and then it really did become just Mark would call out the tunes, you know, whatever he felt like. And that's kind of the way that I prefer to, to, to play too, because you know, every crowd, it could be different, you know, and, and um, so, uh, yeah. And, but does it make sense to you when he calls out some tune that maybe you haven't rehearsed or maybe you have, but like, does he, as a player, does it always make sense what the band leader calls out? Do you ever go, wow, why did he pick that song? Or what's, what's he trying to do? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. There's definitely those times. I mean, uh, you know, I I think especially in the case of, of Mark, you know, he's he's such a good band leader. You know, he's he's cueing us whenever we need to be cued. You know, if there's a change or if there's a, you know, so he's very good at that. So even even if it was a little shocking, you know, whatever song he may have called, you know, you could you you know, I was confident in his ability to lead us. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what's next for you? What happens next? Uh, so next week, I'm going out, out on the road with Chris. Um, we're going to be on the road um, pretty pretty extensively through the end of the year, I think. Wow. Uh, is, yeah, he's got a... Uh, like I said, he does have a record coming out. It, it, is, it is on a bigger label, which is great for him. Um, and it's great for all of us. So, so next week, uh, I'm headed to... Uh, I think we start in the Midwest, but we so we I think we start in Illinois, but we wind up all the way down in Florida. Then we're coming up, we're playing a festival in New Jersey, and then uh, so it's it's about a two week run. Okay, and but you're going to be busy pretty well for the next the next few months. You said for the for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, so I'm doing that with Chris, and then he's got some more dates in August. Then uh, in late August, um, I I was uh, able to. I, I don't know if you know who the Proven Ones are. I do. So uh, the, the the last, well, the Proven Ones, Will, Willie, unfortunately, just passed away several months right. ago. But so the the um, the last recording that they did, I, I was able to be a part of because um, uh, Anthony was the original piano player and he, he was great and there's no you know hard feelings or anything, but he had quit to just kind of pursue his own This is Anthony, Anthony Jirasi. Yes, yeah, and so um, so I I know Brian Templeton very well, and he's the singer for the Proven One. So he had he had gotten me involved with that. So um, so anyways, that is to say that the the Proven Ones. I, I think it's actually just going to be called Willie J and Friends. You know, it, kind of a tribute to to Willie and the you know the last recording. All of his friends came out. Anson, that's where I met Anson. And um, so so anyways, that record is coming out. I think on on Blue Heart Records. And um, then Kid Ramos is going to fly out in August, and I'm going to do some gigs with Brian and Kid, and uh, the Delta Generators are going to be kind of the backing band. But so we're going to do some gigs the end of August, kind of around New England, and then um, yeah, and then September I'm back on the road with Chris. <laughs> and then yeah, we'll and we'll see what what happens. Wow, that's a nice yeah. schedule. Yeah. And and do you yeah. feel like since the pandemic is everything back to not normal, but does it I mean it sounds like you're gigging a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I I I think it's mostly normal. I mean, uh there there's there's um it's it's still not 
completely what it was, but but I you know it is open enough that bands could go on the road again, and and you know you can gig pretty steadily for two or three weeks as as we've seen. <laughs> so that's a good thing. And and you will continue to write songs and hopefully one day record these songs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I I I yeah. In fact, I have an album all mixed and mastered, but we just haven't found the time to. Uh, put it out but one of these days okay so what would (laughs) and i'll let you what would make you decide to actually put it out like because obviously things have also changed that if you for you to put it out you kind of have to tour behind it right yeah and then who knows how many what other factors come into this because of the pandemic but what would make you decide that you will put this out um i honestly the biggest thing that would uh, determine it is just when I have the time, I guess, because, you know, it, I don't think anybody wants to put out an album and just have it and then do nothing, right. you know, have the album not, not, you know, get heard or, or get played. And, and uh, so that's really the thing is, you know, when I have the time and can kind of book some shows around it and, you know, uh, you know, drum up a little bit of press, I, I don't expect anything huge from it, but, you know, it'd be fun to just do a handful of gigs, handful of shows and and uh you know for the time being though i i'm and especially with chris you know with chris having an album you know in the works and about ready to come out and then uh you know my my schedule's pretty full which i'm grateful for so i'll wait i'll wait till i have a a bit of a lull and then i'll pick up the album again and (laughs) start thinking about when i should put it out um what's the album called is it under your name or is it under a band name so it's a it's a bunch of songs that I wrote with my friend Craig, who is also the lead singer in um, the Curtis Mayflower. He's he's a great friend of mine. Um, but this is it's very blues, uh, ironically. But it's it's um, all based around piano and keyboard instruments. And in fact, we we went so far as to not even have a single guitar on the whole record. <laughs> so so what we did was uh, I have a good friend whose name is uh, his name is Sam Gilman. And he came in and played Hammond, and so he was covering the bass on the Hammond, and I was playing piano or Rhodes and uh, played some clav on a couple things. But there's no digital keyboards. It's all, you know, real instruments, uh, you know, a bunch of guys live in a room. We had drums and uh, singing and, you know, the, the Hammond and the piano all tracked live. And then uh, then we, we did end up overdubbing some horns and just, you know, some, some uh, background vocals, things like that. But um, so we're tentatively calling this band the Stags, <laughs> um, and so so that's you know when it does come out, that's probably what it's going to come out as. Is the but we Stags. have no idea when. Unfortunately, not. But uh, yeah. but that's a good thing. Yeah, it means you're busy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Brooks, it was a real pleasure meeting you. I loved your playing, and I'm I'm thrilled that you took this time to talk to me. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, it was a pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Um, I hope to see you on the road sometime. I hope so, too.